Hello everybody, it's Monday the 2nd of August and praise be, the Scottish football season has started. Welcome to the Football Ramble, I'm Kate Mason. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Andy Russell. Greetings, loved ones. So good to see you. Hello. Oh, you're talking to us? Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, we are uh, re- recording remotely all this week because, as as may be evident, um, one of our number has come down with, with evil COVID. So, yeah, get well soon, Pete Donaldson. And uh, we're going to be coming to you from our sexy bedrooms, as discussed, for the next week or so. Hope you understand any, uh, you know loud pauses or whatever as we struggle along to get each other's jokes from from isolation it's a lot more difficult <laughs> how does a loud pause work it's, it's you know all about it don't you having done stand-up <laughs> i think you mean a laugh i hope you mean a laugh <laughs> no i'm well i'm talking about when stuff dies right Right, but what, like, it's not loud then, is it? That's what I mean. It's really loud. I, yeah, we've all been to, lots of people will have been to the Edinburgh Festival and have gone into a like free show in the afternoon on a Tuesday and heard yeah. those loud pauses where you can tell that the person is absolutely desperate for the other, for like the three people in the venue to laugh and right, nothing comes Right, but there's no sound. Too. You know all there's about no it. sound in yeah, it. Yeah, but right, it's loud okay. because it's, because the loud bit is the, your the, ears. Like the absence the blood of the volume pounding. is what screams at you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do in those circumstances? Talking about it, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I just <laughs> uh, reassess my life choices, uh, except that I'm too far down that rabbit hole and plough on. <laughs> oh, bless you. And funnily enough, we're going to talk about Arsenal next, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good to see. You. How are you doing, Brass? You've been uh, out. You've been free, haven't you? I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have. I have. I, I might go out in five minutes, actually, depending on how this goes. Jesus. Look at him. <laughs> Just making our lives seem small and petty. Uh, yeah, look, Arsenal did play a bit of football. There was a London derby, no less, Jim. And I know how yeah. you feel about these. You think we need lots and lots more, especially in friendlies. <laughs> so you, you, you were super keen about it. In fact, it kicked, off with the, it kicked off with the girls beforehand, didn't it? Which Arsenal women actually managed to win. Good. So maybe you should just back out of the old men's team. Yeah, or just, just support idea. support both a bit more. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Arsenal losing to Chelsea in pre-season is such a seismic defeat that I wonder if they might now just fold the club, um, given some of the responses I've read to that. It's uh, it's absolutely devastating to lose a pre-season game in which players are getting back up to speed and the full squads aren't there and a lot of transfers haven't been done. So it's just like, it really has rocked my faith in the entire sport. I think everyone's a fraud, basically. See, what I took from that, Jim from watching um, the, the, the extended highlights of this game is that now we can be sure that Joe Willock is the natural heir to Frank Lampard, which I think is an entirely <laughs> positive thing to take Yeah, from absolutely. It. That's very, very true. He's been robbed there, isn't he? Do we need VAR in, in pre-season games? We probably do. The campaign starts here. We need it everywhere. We need it absolutely everywhere. <laughs> but it's not VAR, is it? I thought it was because it's the, what you're referring to, right, is Joe Willock. Joe Willock literally scored, correct? He yeah, scored no, you're goal. right. It should be the goal line technology. Yeah, I, I thought goal line technology was just, just one sat of those in automatic there. things that always happened. Yeah. Except with I thought it just Aston, lived Aston in the Villa. posts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so it was just it sounds like it was just off, basically. And 
then the referees, yeah. fa- you know, that's a task that they've delegated out. So why should they be able to do it? Is that is but, that what happens? D- doesn't matter, does it? It's a fitness exercise, really. Um, <laughs> it does matter. It's Joe, surely you're excited about Joe Willett coming back, getting on the score sheet, and now the narrative is entirely different. Uh, I mean, yeah. I want to get you riled I mean, up. I mean, he, he scored, didn't he? It counts as much as it counts as much as it doesn't count. It's a friendly. Like, it does, doesn't matter. But on the other hand, Jim, I think Ben White already has a good sense of what it what he signed up for with Arsenal yeah. because he Very came on, so. did quite well for the second half, even though he's pretty much like a babysitter turning up at a house where the kids are running around naked with Nutella all over their faces yeah. and the kitchen's on fire and the parents go... Here you go. Um, we haven't got a number you can contact us on because we'll be at the theatre. Uh, we'll be home before two thirty a.m. Yeah, yeah. If you've got any you've got any problems, um, just knock next door for Willianne. He probably won't be there though. Um, it's a, a bit more like babysitting in a trench, isn't it? Like there's just a lot, just a lot going on. But he, you know, he seemed to adapt to it quite well. You know, certain types of defenders like to be busy, right? They like to be involved. And I think he's been fairly used to that at Brighton. And actually, you know, it's easy to sort of laugh at Arsenal's somewhat chaotic approach to things sometimes. But certainly to the second half of the season, they had a really good defensive record. So, you know, hopefully it won't, uh, it won't be a sort of constant bombardment in this in the way that certain periods of the game were yesterday. Obviously, you know, you're playing against Chelsea as well, so they are the champions of Europe for good reason. Although Hector Bellerin should probably not be making life so easy for Tammy Abraham. Unless he's very confident he's going to join Arsenal. He's like, yeah, on, that, he's <laughs> give you an early assist. Where are we at on that? Is is Tammy is that likely to happen or seems to have gone a bit the quiet. Of Tammy? I think the thing is, Arsenal have got so much business to do. So, I mean, if you look at the three players they've brought in, obviously they've paid a lot of money for Ben White. People are going, oh, 50 million for Ben White. But that was the same money that Ben Chilwell cost, that Aaron Wan-Bissaka cost. A young, good English defender costs a lot of money. Arsenal have had to pay that if they want to get him, right? Um, and you've also got Tavares and uh, Lukonga have come in. And that's something like 76 million between those three players. And you can mm. still argue that Arsenal need... Well, they, they need to replace Hector Bellerin if he if he leaves. Looking less likely now. Uh, they probably need a striker. Definitely need a creative midfielder. There's so many players that still need to come in, and they've already spent a lot of money. So I don't think it can all happen in this window. So they have to be a work in progress for a bit longer. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Lukonga said he's very excited to play with in one of those like joining Arsenal interviews where you're put up and you're supposed to try and say nothing. People will try and make a news line out of it anyway. Yeah. Anyway, Lukonga said the player he was most excited to play with was Nicola Pepe, but then mainly he just really likes Barcelona players and actually didn't seem to particularly respect anyone. <laughs> <laughs> who was Great. There's your headline. Yeah. Bloody hell. Talking up his Barcelona DNA already. <laughs> yeah, you might as well. <laughs> He's got his moment in the sun, hasn't he? He might as well use it to advertise. Is that the earliest like placing of someone placing themselves in the shop window ever in their unveiling for another club? Maybe that's what the club desires. I mean, you know, we always hear about how it's good for players to have sell on. If those players have sell on value and are advertising themselves <laughs> at the same time, although with Barcelona's current situation, He'll be advertising himself for probably six, seven years down the line. So there's no need to panic just yet, is there? (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, the other one is this kid's, is he a kid? Do we call a 21-year-old a kid? That's probably a bit disrespectful. So Tavares, he's the one who's come through the Benfica youth system. Do you, can you tell us things about him, Brass? Um, he's talented. He's raw. I wouldn't expect him to start. Obviously, uh, Tierney's a, a ahead of him anyway. And he's, he's not playing an enormous amount of first-team football for, for Benfica. So, uh, you, you know, they, they need depth. They need players who can improve. I, I think that's pretty good. I was just going to say, I think that this this window has been pretty good so far in getting just the age profile of the squad down, getting some some players in for the future. Arsenal have to be That's sensible thing, about it? where they are and trying mm-hmm. to be looking to to build a team that competes rather than going, oh, we need to get back in the Champions League straight away. That's like very, very unlikely. Oh, sorry, Jim. You've been crushed <laughs> finally. No, it, no, it's good. Uh... It's good not to be in the Champions League. Well, no, it's a know. positive. Well, I think it's positive steps in the uh, in the direction of making the squad just just better and more reliable. Yeah. like I say, it's going to be a gradual thing. Thomas Party being injured straight away doesn't help, but there you go. That's what I was about to bring up. Yeah. Do you feel as though I was having a little dig around at his? I mean, his injury record since joining. So he joined in uh, twenty twenty, the start of the season twenty twenty, right? Mm. And it does mm. look. Does it feel to you as though he's been injured? He, he hasn't, right, just to be clear, but it feels to me as though he's been injured near constantly. He's had sort of three separate bouts of injury, uh, a lot yeah. of which are ha- hip and hamstring. Well, it does, because it does feel like he's been injured constantly because he's not really been able to put a run together for that long. So we've not mm. seen the best of him yet, I don't think. I mean, there have been times where he's been absolutely fantastic and like clearly our best midfielder, but you, we, you know, we just need to keep him fit. Mm. Okay. All right. So some good, some bad. That's the way of it. But frankly, you don't give a shit about these friendies. You seemed pretty keen on Olivier Giroud's appearance, though. What's Olivier yeah. Giroud been up to? Who isn't who isn't keen on Olivier Giroud's appearance? I actually found it a bit <laughs> a bit much in the WhatsApp group. I felt I felt a little bit like uh, someone needed to protect Why? Giroud from the pair of you. I, I, I think it was nice. I mean, he, he scored a goal that made people happy, that made me and Jim happy. And yeah. that's the most important thing. So, yeah, he came on as um, Saab in Milan's friendly against Nice uh, with his first touch, scored a header. And Jim hadn't seen it at the time that we were discussing about it. Mm. And I think from memory, Jim wrote glancing header slash Gallic shrug. And in fact, he did score a glancing header he um, over Kefren Turam isn't it, you and said. celebrated with kind of a Gallic shrug. So you've got a bit so, of yeah. both. The cheekbones are on fire. <laughs> he uh, he scored with his first touch, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Which is pretty, pretty um, sweet. Yeah, and uh, there's this thought of being a sort of number nine curse uh, at Milan in, in, in recent years. Of course, Latan has worn the number 11 since he's come back, but Mandzukic didn't come off. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain had a had a really bad spell there on on, on loan, so I think that Giroud could be the the, the man to break that. Mm. You guys are already missing him, aren't you? From the Premier, I mean, I suppose Brass gets to watch a lot more. European yeah, I'm not going to be missing but... him. I'm going to be watching no, him every you're... week. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll just get really into Milan. Yeah, exactly. This is the moment for you, Jim, to join to join up. You'll be mm. drinking out Speller's Franco Baresi mug before you know it, <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, is that Speller's? Oh, of course it is. Uh, someone else on the score sheet as well that's, that was lovely too uh, was Raul Jimenez. So he was back playing in friendly uh, against Stoke. I think it was 1-1 final score there, but he he scored a lovely little volley, uh, sort of tap in. And it was, of course, his first goal since that sickening head injury that he experienced all those months ago. So yeah, really... 
I don't know about you guys, but whenever it's a head injury like that, you you always wonder: are we going to see? Are we going to see those players play it again? Full stop. And so yeah. to see him come back on, look that good, and and score a goal. Uh, and there's just everyone, you know, it's a goal in a friendly against Stoke. People aren't going absolutely wild, but there was very much like a a lovely little cuddle with yeah. his teammates and a, it's sense a nice of moment. Like, right, I'm back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the point watch. you were making about people not going absolutely wild in friendlies, I would I would partly dispute that, Mace, because I think in a lot of places, people are being allowed back in grounds for the first time. So mm. there may be friendlies, there may be that intrinsic feel that, yeah, it doesn't really matter, as, as Jim was conveying at the beginning. But in... Marseille Villarreal, for example, at the weekend, we had 30,000 fans inside the velodrome, which is only half full. It's the first time they've had fans in, in 552 days. And they celebrated the goals like it meant something. Jorge Sampaoli and Unai Emery almost had a fight on the touchline. I mean, <laughs> that, that is as good as pre-season friendlies get. And people are getting yeah. a little overexcited about it because they're back in the ground and they're seeing old faces. And it's, it's nice. That's absolutely true. Actually, I was thinking more of the players didn't go wild, although perhaps they're still trying to treat each other with with a bit of care mm. and gentleness. But yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. The Wolves fans were were having a good old sing song, uh, which was which was really lovely to see. Um, and uh, and not just not just in uh, England, of course, Scottish Premiership proper football got underway this weekend. Unfortunately for Celtic, they don't seem ready for it. Um, hearts back up to the Scottish Premiership and they won 2-1 against Celtic. This, I learn, is Celtic's first opening day defeat in 24 years. Now, Brass, do you think, does that say more about, I mean, clearly we're not here to start casting stones at Scottish football, but obviously Celtic having had a level of dominance that seems to have dropped off and now it's a statement. It's like the reverse of a statement, isn't it? To lose your opening day game to a team that's just been promoted. I think it shows how hard it is to recover after what happened to them in the Champions League. I mean, you have to cut them a bit of slack in that um, Hearts are just promoted, of course, and, and, and very, very motivated. And it's a huge game for them to come back to the Premiership with. And Celtic, had to play 120 minutes in, in, in Micheland in the, in the week, who, mm. as we saw, were in the group stages of the Champions League um, last last season. So they're, they're not pushovers by any stretch of the imagination. And just evacuating that disappointment, as well as the fact that the whole chat around Celtic since has been digging at the board. I, I think it's been very, very hard. And I, I don't think anyone's in any doubt of the job that Ange Postacoglu has, has got because th there's the feeling of the squad being kind of half finished. Now, I know we always have this feeling at the start of a season that is it that time already that quickly dissipates in a couple of weeks. But I think because of the double season that's just happened, plus the Euros, which of course Scotland were part of, and then the, the, the games are upon us already, it actually is happening too soon for Celtic. <laughs> as well as the, the fact that they're at this sort of crossroads of, of, of huge change. You know, the, the, the fans are unhappy. You can understand that. It doesn't seem, as we were talking about on the ramble last week after the Michelin game, that um, there's any leadership in terms of recruitment and, and, and transfers. Um, so there's there's not good vibes there. And, and just, I think after they got, I watched this game and after they got the equaliser, 
you're thinking, right, they can press on and go and win this game. But they just didn't defend well enough to win any game. I mean, the, the, the problems that are there are obvious. There's no leadership at the back in terms of the goalkeeper. Um, so, yeah, they need work. They need work. But well done to, well done to the Jambos. Yeah, well, the great thing for Celtic, Jim, is is that, you know, their fans generally and the local press, it, it's definitely the sort of place where you can really just bed in, take your time, roll with the punches, you know, lose a few. They'll be really understanding, won't yeah. they? So. Especially as Rangers won as well and they're already playing catch-up. I'm sure that'll be, I'm sure that'll be fine. So that'll be absolutely <laughs> no problem. But realistically, though, that you know, a club like that, you expect pressure anyway, right? So when a little bit of it comes, just you know, that's part of the job. Yeah, that's right. And as 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 Brass says, Postacoglu, he's got the smarts, but he needs a bit of time for the sounds of things. They got to travel to face Yablonek. Have I done that right? Yablonek in the Czech Republic on Thursday. That's the Europa League third qualifying round. Really grafting already. And yeah, as you mentioned, Jim, Rangers beat Livingston three 0 A lovely goal in that one from Yanis. Haji, as as there are in so many of those Rangers games. See, so, yeah, he's twenty two, isn't he now, Haji? Um, I would. I'm, I'm surprised there's not been a bit more noise about him potentially, you know, getting a move away from Rangers. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they've got him tied down very well. But he's, he's a player you expect to have a big career. I think a, a huge part of that. The, the thing is, he's one of those players who you can't not judge on his name because his dad was mm. so so good. I yeah. want him to be amazing. He's not amazing yet. He has amazing moments. So I think like Rangers is the right place for him. But yeah, I get super excited every every time I see that name on the on the score sheet for well, yeah, for his dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ, it's a Schmeichel effect. But he did all right in the end, day. Eh? Um, all right, guys, let's get on to a break, shall we? And then we'll come back for some a deep dive into ice rinks and some transfers. Stay with us. De Bruyne, De Gea, De Arby. Welcome back to the Football Ramble with me, Jim and Andy, collectively in your ears, but on our own. We're going all right, thanks for asking. Now it's time for some of these. Sam Campbell, who initially emailed on Friday uh, about the ice rink in Northern Ireland, has been in touch. If you didn't hear the show, uh, firstly, what are you doing? Um, secondly, essentially, there was there was a game played in Northern Ireland on a pitch that was laid on the top of an ice rink during a game. Guess what happened? The ice began to melt. Um, so Sam has got in touch again and said, in response to being called a liar on Friday's show. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't remember doing that. Was I don't that remember doing it either, but it doesn't mean we didn't. Um, I have attached a link to a story that proves that I didn't make it up and that at least one other person remembers it happening. I expect an apology to be issued forthwith. In, indeed, there is an, uh, an, an article explaining exactly that happening. So Sam, I sort of apologise for calling you a liar if I indeed did it, but you have the same surname as me you know we're not to be trusted so it will only go so far um so <laughs> jennifer hojnaki uh, has been in touch as well she says regarding your discussion on hosting events in ice rinks i worked in an ice rink for more than seven years and the trouble with removing all the ice is how long it ah. takes to do 
The sheet of ice is between 1 and 1.5 inches thick and takes a shockingly long time to melt out. The quickest way to go about it is to continuously shave layers off with a Zamboni, which still takes Whoa. most of a day's work to accomplish. Then there is the matter of replacing <laughs> the ice when you need it again. It's more than just painting your hockey lines, filling it like a swimming pool and waiting for it to freeze. Since that would take ages, the ice is added layer by layer with the hockey lines going on after about a dozen or so layers are down. It takes about three or four days quicker if you have staff working on it around the clock. Instead, when the ice needs to be covered, a material called um, homosote, uh, basically thick, heavy plywood, is laid atop the ice, which insulates it from the heat above, keeps anyone in the area warm and protects the ice from damage. This is how NBA games can be hosted in NHL arenas within hours after the end of a hockey game. Hope this wisdom was interesting. Keep up the great work. That was interesting. This is great. It was. That is well, amazing. What an request amazing more email. explanations of things from our listeners. Yeah. We're still we're still a bit light Thanks, on Jennifer. Inuit correspondence, but that from Jennifer is greater detail than I thought was available on this subject, and I feel mm. completely educated. I'm also picturing the whole like 1.5 inchness of the eye. So it's kind of extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? It asks, it begs. I mean, it slightly suggests that Sam is lying. By the way, <laughs> how <laughs> that's not to be <laughs> doubling down. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Uh, Jennifer, you were amazing. Write in again about literally anything. Um, that was really great. Uh, yeah, show at footballramble.com or tweet us at footballramble. Let's dig into a few bits and bobs on the transfer, the transfer melee, the transfer wheel of, of excitement. Uh, we've the transfer got... wheel of excitement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, a, what, a, what an enthusiastic voice I just used. I am enthusiastic. Aston Villa have agreed a deal for by Leverkusen's Leon Bailey, uh, Emmy Buendia and Ashley Young, Villa's two other arrivals. Right. Does this suggest that the Jack Grealish thing, Brass, is likely to happen? Well, or does it suggest He's not a direct replacement. Uh, no. they, they, they would be buying him anyway, I, I, mm. I think. Um, yeah. Because Bailey's a wide player. Um, on his day, he's incredible. Um, he can um, skin fullbacks with his left foot if he's on the left-hand side. If he's on the right-hand side, he can come inside and shoot. Um, and, you know, there have been moments at Leverkusen where he um, beat Bayern pretty much on his own at, at the Allianz Arena where he looks incredible. But those moments don't happen often enough. And that's why he's going to Villa rather than Chelsea, where he was initially linked when um, when he started doing well in Germany. And that's why he's costing 30 million, not 60 million. Um, if, if Villa work on him, yeah, he could become really good, but they need to, they need to work on him. He's, he's an ama- amazing fun when he's on it, though. But it seems like, Jim, as though Villa are setting up to do pretty well, to make a real run at something anyway this season, right? Yeah, they are. I mean, as we've discussed quite a few times, they you know they do have money to spend and they're, they're debt free, so they're, they're investing very wisely. Um, I think you know they're not stupid, are they? They will be prepared for the idea that Jack Grealish might leave, and I wonder if actually people are talking like about who they're going to replace him with. I think Emmy Buendia might actually be the replacement for Jack Grealish already because he's a very very creative player, mm-hmm. does a sort of similar. Um, thing in terms of just making stuff happen so I think ideally they would love to have them both but I, I wonder if that, that that was part of the thinking of getting him in as well there's a talk of Todd Cantwell as well which would be really interesting I was surprised he didn't get a move um, when Norwich were relegated before so obviously you know different profile of player and um, you know it was 
you'd be disappointed if it was a like-for-like swap, obviously, with no disrespect to Todd Cantwell. But still, it'd be a good platform for him as well. It's, they're a really, really interesting would... team to keep an eye on because it's so difficult to, to break into the, the so-called top six, even though, you know, <laughs> not all six of them even get in there every year. Um, but it's very, very <laughs> tough to, like, establish yourself towards the, the, the top end of the table. And Villa are, are having a good go at it. In, in, they're, prob- they're doing what you would think Everton would want to do. They're just going about it with a bit more of a plan, I think. Would Cantwell not be a suitable replacement for Grealish from a follicular point of view? <laughs> Maybe that's the thinking, yeah. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it should be. Obviously, at the moment, they're going at it, it seems at least, on best case scenario. that If, if you're trying to convince Jack Grealish to stay, you've got to surround him with players that say, we're going somewhere. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if if the worst case scenario happens and they feel they do have to sell him, if he, if, if he does demand to leave, you know, they're, they're already on an upward tra- trajectory. And I think other players will, will want to sign for them. Yeah, it's a big That's Alice really band to fill. <laughs> I think he's bringing his own. Yeah. It's a, he needs those special socks, I guess. Although they'd just be really saggy if they'd been worn previously by Grealish. <laughs> Unless you've done some really good work. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, Brass. And they've also been... Let's talk about James Ward-Prowse as well. So it, what your impression is that they might be basically creating a team that that adds up to Jack Grealish's ambitions. That's an incredible thing to do. Well, that's that's clearly the aim. Now, whether that comes off or not is is, is a different kettle of fish. But... Um... You know, like I said, if it, if it, if it doesn't come off, you're still convincing the supporters that you're you're going yeah. in the, the the right direction. And last season was so so positive for them. I mean, I I can't remember from the predictions how many of us predicted them to go down, but I was definitely one of them. <laughs> I'm going to fess up now. <laughs> so the the, the job yeah. that they did last season was 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 brilliant. And whether Grealish leaves or not, they still have to keep pushing in, in that direction, don't they? And it's, it's what they're doing. So I don't, I don't yeah. think their plans change that much, whether he goes or not. Yeah, interesting point. Um, they unrelatedly they beat Bristol City three 0 this weekend. Kevin Friend booked one of the stands for chanting, "You're just a shit." Who <laughs> book a stand? You could do what you want in preseason. This is the point. The it's idea great. of anyone being a shit Mike Dean is so sad, isn't it? It breaks my heart. <laughs> well, Mike Dean's a shit Mike Dean, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. So where does it end? Oh, God. Um, where, what else have we got? Oh, yeah. Gary Cahill has left Crystal Palace after his two-year two-year deal from August 2019 expired. Uh, 61 England caps, of course, Cahill. And one goal in 45 games for Palace. But that's not exactly what he was brought in to do. Um, Harry Kane chat bubbles on, but I'm sure everyone's bored of that already. Maybe that's the point. Are we bored of it? Christian Romero. <laughs> um, maybe perhaps that's what Spurs are doing, trying to create a team that Harry Kane would feel good about. I think the main thing for them is working out how they're going to spend the money better than the way they spent the bail money. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Well, I mean, yeah, you say yeah. that, but like, if, if City sign Grealish, can they also sign Kane? We don't know. This is the thing that's going around. Is it even possible to do it? They've got to sell players, haven't they? Anything's possible. When FFP is napping, that's what I would say to you, James Campbell. <laughs> but I like that you believe in, you know, rules and regulations. That's very touching. Uh, no, it's Luke... that I really want Kane to leave and I'm scared it won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was trying to spin it into a friendly version. I thought we said some quite nice stuff about Arsenal earlier, did we not? Look, there's no need to give it the big end just because it's you, just because it's Europa Conference League draw day. There's no oh, need yeah. to lord it over Jim, okay? Yeah. Be nice. Yes. Sorry, it may be mate. your day of glory, but some people are suffering out there. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have been a bit more sympathetic. The other sympathy I need, really, is because when we were trying to record something the other day, Great Britain were losing 4-3 to Australia by the time we by the time we finished. And so they yeah. are out, yeah, of the Olympics, even though Ellen Bloody White scored a hat-trick. <sighs> I thought it's this gutting, was pretty, isn't it? devastating to be honest I mean going into the Olympics I didn't expect too much because as we've talked about already you know this is not a team that exists right yes it was a majority England squad but England haven't played any competitive games since the World Cup you know it's not been the same setup at all as for example the USA uh, who've played something like something ludicrous like 20 games in the interim um and They've got this interim head coach as well, Hagarisa, who is great, but, you know, she's not been brought in for the for the longer term. She's, like, covering a gap after old Fizzer went off to do his big works in Miami um, and is much missed. So, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting much at the start of the tournament. But, you know, when you see Ellen White banging those in and the number of chances that we had, there was even a chance in extra time. I just... It was a complete lack of game management, this one, Jim, really. Like, I, the fact that, yeah, okay, Sam Kerr is one of the best players in the world, but not only was there an 89th-minute equaliser that then took it into extra time, which seemed to kind of crush our spirit, but then there yeah. was also this absolutely... Oh, I'm sorry, Caroline Weir, but that was a terrible penalty. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, again, it's, I guess, the pressure of a situation like that. You see it so often, don't you? You see that type of penalty in high-pressure situations where it's uh, what commentators call a perfect height for the goalkeeper. And you see it so, so often. And I, I don't know... I, I don't know what the psychology of that that is. Maybe it's just sort of... I don't know, you're trying to aim for a corner, but you miss it, or you're just kind of hitting and hoping a little bit. Like, but it's, yeah, it, it was just one of those at the worst possible time. He just handled the momentum back to the opposition as well. As it, as it literally turned out because, yeah. yeah. Um, because, yeah, then they went on and scored. I don't know, Brass, I suppose it's just a case of trying to get, you're, you're just like, please don't let me miss the, the, the goal, right? Presumably that's part of the psychology. Well, no mistakes happen. I, I think it's, it's, it's that simple. And um, there are a lot of them, in, in particularly in the back end of um, normal time and um, going into extra time from Team GB. I mean, when they were when they had their good spells in that game, they, they looked head and shoulders above, I thought. I, th- I thought they looked really, really good. Um, but um, you talked about game management i just wonder if they didn't have enough left in the tank to be honest because they looked knackered um, didn't they yeah yeah they, they they did and um as you say sam kerr's one of the best players in the world you, you can't give her a chance like that equalizer right at the end where she had two stabs at it really and she had time to really take her time over it um the defending was 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 poor for that and it, it wasn't great throughout but even after that you, you had that moment where um England created a couple of like half chances after after that Sam Kerr equaliser, and the bit where I thought they're done, even before the the, the, the Kerr missed penalty, uh, before the Caroline Weir missed penalty, sorry, I thought was um, a bit before the end of normal time when um, Lucy Bronze had a a, a break down the the right when 
um, GB were pinning Australia back. And um, you're expecting Lucy Bronze to go on the charge around the, the outside and she miscontrols it, loses it and can't really come back. And you think, yeah, if she's got no gas left, like what are the rest of the team gonna gonna be like really? And 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 so so it proved. I mean, they battled quite hard to towards the end to try and get themselves back into the game. Um, but yeah, it just did feel like they were physically a little bit short. I think Pete actually, or someone we were talking about the, the that horrible hot humidity rain. Like I think it was a case that that was a not a great climate on that day to be playing to be playing football. But of course, both. Both teams playing in the same circumstances. I thought it was a slightly amusing. The tiny it was a sort of neg that that Kerr made afterwards. Um, she said that was a mental win for me when I've seen that Frank Kirby was on the bench for GB. Uh, she's the best player in the world for me at the moment. Oh. Obviously, they play together in the women's Super League. Um, but yeah, Frank Kirby's been injured. She came on towards the end. Questions for me about why. She wasn't brought on a bit sooner, maybe. But um, yeah, I love that the uh, this post-match sledging, which is basically like, oh, I really rate one of your players. You you slightly underused her. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the men's tournament has been going wild, I think. So obviously in the men's tournament, it's all under 23 sides. So it still means that there's a lot of players who've been overwhelmingly overplayed, but it means quite a fun look at some of the, some of the youngsters and, and quite, a, I don't know, just some quite wild stuff. Did you see the Spain five Ivory Coast two? Did. Uh, Bra- yes. In fact, Brass, were you watching that one? Or... Yeah. Um, it was, it was such an interesting, strange game. And I think, it was it was so interesting because they're two quite strong sides. I still can't get my head around so many of those Spanish players having played at the Euros and then playing at, at the at the Olympics. It's insane, particularly in the in, in the current environment. With that said, they're all doing exactly what you would expect them to do. So um Danny Olmo has been playing very well um got them a, a, a nice equalizer in normal time then Unai Simon looked like he'd given the game to the Ivory Coast by sort of diving over uh, a, a shot from Max Gradel and that was in stoppage time and then Spain come straight up the other end equalize Rafa Mir who still belongs to Wolves despite um being out on loan for for, for quite a long time gets the equalizer ends up getting himself a hat trick Having yeah. scored a stoppage time equaliser with his first touch, it was amazing. It's crazy. I mean, as well, like you can, the, you know, we've, we've spoken before about how the Olympics, Olympic football, is a bit of a strange beast for 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 the men's game in particular. But you can see how intense these tournaments are from the reactions to everyone involved. Like to the, to those players there, it's it's the same as the Euros. Do you know what I mean? So like those players when they get back to their clubs, are just going to be spent. The other results, Japan beat New Zealand on pens, Brazil one, Egypt nil, and Mexico six, South Korea three. Yeah, that had a Patrick in it as well from Sebastian Cordova. And he, he scored a penalty and then he just sort of laid down as his, <laughs> as his sort of celebration, just kind of laid on the pitch, like on his side, <laughs> as if doing like a side plank or, or a little Ooh. bit sort of like paint me like one of your French girls, like really, like really, <laughs> really taking the piss. Like it's one of the most disrespectful celebrations I've ever seen. Well into it. And it felt like the World Cup because Mexico were there. Yeah, true. Initially, I thought you were going to say he was just lying down exhausted because of all the no, generalised no. too much football, but just showing he off. He's just taking the piss. And we're here for it. 
Absolutely we are. Uh, all right then, guys. I think that's enough of our chatter for one day, although I could spin it out for ages because all I've got to do for the rest of my day is sit and stare at my walls and have <laughs> dreams about painting my door that I'm clearly never going to do because how does anyone know how to use a sander? Uh, on tomorrow's show, the lucky sods who get to react to the Europa Conference League draw include Jim Campbell. Jim, you must yep. be... Oh, you can have some sleepless, <laughs> a sleepless night. I can see it in yep. your face. It's going to be like Eurovision. <laughs> Holding you back uh, will be Marcus and Pete. Lovely to see you guys. Say goodbye to the listeners, Brass. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Jim. Bye. We'll catch you next time. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.